0: dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your
1: Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Hello everybody and welcome to the second installment of my Bad Girls series. I really hope that you all enjoyed the first episode on Valerie Solanis. I touched a bit on kind of some of my thoughts and feelings following the episode on the mini episode that I put out on Friday Uh, But still, if there's anything that you guys want to say about that past episode, I would still love to hear from you all. And I'm really excited to share today's story as well. But before I do, again, I would like to encourage all of you to go ahead and leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. It is the best way that you can possibly support us in this podcast. And we just appreciate it so much when you do. You can also leave us a review on our Facebook business page. We check both of those places to feature them on our Instagram for Reviews Day Tuesday. Okie dokie. I think I am ready to get into this story. This week, I'm going to share the legend of female pirate Anne Bonnie. The story of Anne Bonney is a myth based in some historical fact from documentation and paperwork of the time. Most of what we know about pirates comes from the book A General History of Pirates, which was published in 1724 with the author listed as Captain Charles Johnson, although there is no record of anyone by this name ever serving as a captain of any capacity. In 1932, a scholar named John Robert Moore said that a man named Daniel Defoe should be acknowledged as the author, based on the writing style and similar content of his other works. A general history of pirates introduced many of the images we now have of pirates, such as pirates with missing legs or eyes, the notion of pirates stealing treasure, and the Jolly Roger. The Legend of Anne Bonny was included in its volume one. Anne Bonnie was born sometime in the mid to late 1690s in Kinsale Cork County, Ireland. Anne's life began among scandal. Her father, William Cormac, was a wealthy lawyer, and he and his wife hired a young servant, Mary Brennan. Cormac and Mary Brennan began a secret affair, and eventually Mary got pregnant. Mrs. Cormac found out and left him. To hide the pregnancy, Mary and Cormac traveled to London, where Anne was born. Cormac was very fond of the infant Anne and arranged for her to come live with him back in Ireland, but of course he couldn't go back to Ireland with an illegitimate daughter that would have been detrimental to his reputation and law career. So, he dressed his toddler Anne in boy's clothing and introduced her as Andy, the child of a relative that had been left in his care. According to the General History of Pirates, when Anne's identity was eventually discovered, Cormac's law practice went under. He and Anne moved to Carolina, Charleston today. In the early 1700s, Charleston was a young town being propelled forward by French Huguenots and planters from Barbados. Charleston also had quite a pirate problem. At first, the pirates seemed to be a respected part of the community, and merchants made good money buying the stolen goods. The locals would entertain the pirates and keep them comfortable with provisions and liquor. If a merchant complained about a pirate, they were even enemies of the country. Charleston was also very dependent on privateers, which are legal pirates, to protect them. Privateers were sometimes referred to as private men of war and were given permission from the British government to raid and fight the French and Spanish ships. Unfortunately, when the war with Spain ended in 1713, privateers were suddenly out of a job. Some privateers would go on to logging and fishing or sail their own ships for a while instead of England's. But by 1718, Charleston's tolerance for pirates was ruined. The presence of the infamous Blackbeard didn't do anything to quell the strain between the Charleston residents and the pirates. Blackbeard's full recorded name was Edward Teach, apparently. <laughs> he was in charge of around 400 men and had four vessels to his name. The island of New Providence and the Bahamas were his base. Blackbeard's crew began ambushing the trade ships in Charleston. They robbed eight ships and kidnapped, quote, several of the best inhabitants of this place, said Robert Johnson, the colony's governor, in a letter. Anything that disrupted trade was a threat. Carolina planters had been growing rice and were becoming very wealthy exporting it. Then again, it was the enslaved doing most of the work anyway. In exchange for the citizens they kidnapped, they asked for medicine. Governor Johnson sent them mercury, which was thought to cure syphilis. The hostages were returned almost naked, again, according to Governor Johnson's letter. Blackbeard died in North Carolina in a battle later that same year. This is pretty crazy. In 2005, archaeologists found metal urethral syringes with mercury in the sunken ship, the Queen Mary's Revenge, which was uh, Blackbeard's ship. So that's pretty crazy. All right, back to Charleston. After this event, Charleston went forward with creating protections against pirates. Leaders organized pirate hunting missions and caught many, hanging about 50 pirates in 1718 alone. Their hanging bodies were left to waste in the sun, their bodies warning other ships that get close enough to Charleston. In Charleston, Cormac tried to pick up on his law practice, but was unsuccessful, so he became a merchant. He eventually became wealthy enough to own a sizable plantation. A few years after the move, when Anne was only 12, her mother Mary Brennan passed away. There are legends that speak of Anne's cruelty beginning at the age of 13, after her mother died. One story goes that Anne stabbed a young servant with a cutting knife during a tantrum, another saying she beat a man half to death who tried to rape her. I don't blame her on that one. Anne also had a reputation for being a pretty girl with red hair, and for her promiscuous behavior. She was often seen hanging around sailors and pirates at taverns. Rumors ran rampant of her sexual exploits with men. This is crazy. She's like not even 16 at this point, by the way. (laughs) But when she was 16, she married a wannabe pirate by the name of James Bonney. Her dad, Cormac, wasn't a fan of James and believed that he was just after his money, which he was probably right. After they were married, James and Anne sailed off to New Providence in the Bahamas, an infamous pirate hangout that I mentioned earlier when I was talking to you about Blackbeard, and they had dreams of an adventurous life at sea ahead of them. Anne quickly befriended many of the pirates on the island and loved the lifestyle. Jamaica's governor hired James as a privateer which I'm sure in Anne's eyes was much more boring than the adventurous criminal life she thought she had signed up for. Anne's eyes began to wander until one day she met Jack Rackham, a.k.a. Calico Jack. They called him Calico because of his fancy clothes. Jack spent lots of money on Anne and gave her that sense of danger and excitement that she was looking for. She wanted to be with Jack, not James. So divorce in the 1700s was tricky. This is usually what happened. The wife's current suitor could offer the current husband a certain amount of money, and if the husband accepts, the wife then belongs to the suitor. So romantic. So Jack offered James a sum of money, but James refused. That didn't stop Anne. She and Jack stole a ship that they named the William, which I'm wondering if she named that after her father, William Cormac. And they quite literally sailed off into the sunset together. The pirate life probably intrigued Anne so much because she could break societal norms for women at the time. In a time where girls are taught to be loyal daughters and women servants to their husbands who essentially own them. Pirate life on the William wasn't much like what popular culture has made you believe. Instead of rum, you were more likely to see the pirates drinking distilled rainwater and barely having enough food to survive. It was a tough life for anyone, and many people didn't believe that women could handle the work it takes. But Anne was known to be just as capable, if not more so, than the boys. She was probably able to gain this kind of reputation since she dressed as a man for battles and raids. They say she was indistinguishable from her male crew members by their enemies, and she was known for her cruelty and skill. She once made a fake body and covered it with blood. When enemies neared the ship, she would wave it above her head to distract them. That would scare me. I wouldn't go near the ship. The years 1630 to 1750 was known as the golden era of piracy. After the War of the Spanish Secession, there were many sailors struggling to find work, and you could make a lot of money as a pirate. The years 1718 through 1720 were particularly lucrative for Calico Jack. Those also happened to be the years that Anne Bonny was active with his crew. In that time, Jack and Anne consistently raided ships that went in and out of the British Atlantic, all the while having what I can assume is a very interesting love affair— in 1719, when she was around 18 or 19, Anne's adventure took a turn. She was pregnant. There was no way she could carry a child on the ship. There wasn't enough food for her to grow a healthy baby. Calico Jack brought Anne to Cuba to have the baby. He left her there for a year. Nothing is really known what happened about the baby or if the baby was even ever born. What is known is that Anne rejoined Jack on the William alone, and it was clear right away when she returned that things had changed quite a lot. While she was away, Jack and his crew had captured some privateers and robbed their goods. Jack's crew gave the privateers an option of joining them, and many of them did. One of them was particularly attracted to Anne, so she began to seduce them. When Anne finally made a move, the sailor undressed themselves and revealed their true identity. This handsome sailor was actually a female privateer named Mary Reed. Mary's father, mother, and their son lived in England before Mary was born. Shortly after their son was born, though, the father abandoned the family. After his disappearance, the mother discovered she was pregnant again, but not with her ex-husband's child. She had been having an affair. She and her son vanished to the country to live with some friends to hide the pregnancy. Shortly before Mary was born, in 1685, the son passed away. Is this all making sense, by the way? Because it's about to get a lot more confusing. In order to continue receiving child support from her ex-mother-in-law, she decided to dress baby Mary as a boy, calling her Mark. And I find this really funny because Anne's dad allegedly called her Andy, And Mary's mom allegedly called Mary Mark. Very similar uh, male to female names that they had to switch to. And you will see a lot of similarities between their um, backstories and their lives. And you'll see plenty other similarities in their lives. So the mother and father were able to fool Mary's grandma until Mary was a teenager, When the jig was up, Mary could go on living as a woman if she pleased, but since she and her mother were no longer receiving financial assistance, they needed a bigger income, so Mary decided to stay Mark. As a young girl dressed as a boy, she worked as a footboy, which is essentially like a valet of the time, and she also worked on a ship. Later, she joined the British military, who were fighting with the Dutch against France. Still wearing men's clothes, she fell in love with a Flemish soldier who was her bunkmate. When she finally got up the courage to reveal her identity and feelings, he reciprocated, and they got married. With her military commission, they bought an inn in the Netherlands that they ran for a few years. The business was cut short when Mary's husband unfortunately died unexpectedly, and she was unable to pay for the care for the inn any longer. Once again, Mary put on her men's clothing and went looking for work. She tried going back to the military, but there was no war to fight in, so she traveled to the West Indies looking for a job as a privateer. And now we're back to 1719-ish, when Anne was back aboard Jack's ship. By the way, I'm very impressed that Mary especially was able to hide her identity so well. Anne, at least in between battles and raids, was able to be herself and dress however she pleased, but Mary was Mark all the time and had to constantly fool her shipmates. And the biggest question I have is how the hell she hid her period, because oh my god. Now, particularly because of the story of how they met, I bet a lot of you are wondering right now if Anne and Mary had been lovers. Now, they may have been, they may not have been, there is no documentation saying whether they were or not. Obviously, being a lesbian in the 1600s and 1700s was not something that was openly discussed or written about in documentation, and if it was, they probably would have gotten in quite a lot of trouble, but that doesn't mean that the rumor mill has stopped. But the women were incredibly close. This was probably the first time in a long time that both women had another woman as a companion. I'm sure it felt really good to find someone with so much in common who understands the same struggles that you do. Now, with Mary still dressed as Mark and the women growing closer and closer, Calico Jack started getting a little jealous. He once became so threatened that he tried to kill Mary. To save her own life, Mary revealed herself to Jack. Some have rumored that they began a three-way relationship, but again, nothing supports this. We do know that after this, Jack no longer felt threatened of Mary, and Mary was able to dress as a woman if she pleased while on the ship between raids and battles. In late September, early October of 1719, Anne and Mary led a raid on an enemy ship that had attacked them unexpectedly. The crew was all completely wasted and unhelpful. This was the time they actually did have quite a bit of rum on their ship. They were all either passed out or ran to hide because they didn't have the energy to fight. This left Anne and Mary to fight alone, and it pissed them right the fuck off. Mary went over to where some of the crew was hiding and fired her gun inside, killing one of her crew members in the process. After she shot, she screamed, If there's a man among ye, you come up and fight like the man ye are to be. I love that so much. Eventually, the women surrendered. The entire crew, minus the dead man, were arrested and taken to jail. They were held in cells together while they awaited trial. The men were all sentenced to hang. Calico Jack received the extra punishment of gibbeting, a practice where the body is hanged, then laid out on a public display. His final request was to see Ann Bonney. She was reluctant, but eventually visited his cell. When she did, she told him, If ye'd fought like a man, ye'd not hang like a dog. So comforting and supportive. The women went on trial on November 28th. Seventeen twenty for the charges of piracy, they pled not guilty. There are transcripts from this testimony that tell us what the witnesses said at the trial. One witness, Thomas Spenlow, had been attacked by Jack's crew, where they had stolen fifty rolls of tobacco, nine bags of pimento, and ten of their enslaved people. He was able to identify the women. Two Frenchmen and their interpreter testify that they had been kidnapped by Jack's crew. They witnessed the crew's daily lives and raids while they were being held hostage. They testified that the women would change into men's clothing for battle. They were quoted saying, The women were very active on board and willing to do anything. He said that they did not seem to be kept or detained by force, but by their own free will and content. Witness Thomas Dillon's ship had also been attacked by Jack and his crew. He said, Both women were very profligate cursing and swearing much, and very ready and willing to do anything on board. Some of the most damning evidence came from Dorothy Thomas, who had been robbed by the women and Jack. She said that the women swore at the men, urging them to murder her to prevent her from coming against them. She said she knew they were women because of how large their breasts were. And really, if it was that obvious to that woman, don't you think it would have been obvious to someone before? After the witnesses were done testifying, the court asked Anne and Mary if they had any witnesses to call. They did not. A unanimous guilty verdict was called out, charging them with piracies, felonies, and robberies committed by them on the high sea. Nicholas Laws, the Jamaican governor, asked if they had anything to say for themselves. They answered no. Laws said to them, you, Mary Reed, and Anne Bonnie, alias Bon, are to go from hence to the place from whence you came, and from thence to the place of execution, where you shall be severely hanged by the neck till you are severely dead. Damn, harsh. Although it kind of reminds me of the song in The Wizard of Oz at the very end where he's like, um, she's really not just merely dead, she's really most sincerely dead. Sorry, I had to cut the tension there a little bit, and you all know how much I love The Wizard of Oz. After the sentencing, Anne and Mary suddenly told the court that, shockingly, they were both pregnant and asked Laws to set the sentence aside until they gave birth. They were inspected and, yes, indeed, they were pregnant. Their sentences were suspended. It's believed that Mary died a few months later, around the time that she would have given birth, But Anne's fate is shrouded in mystery and folklore. This is where all documentation vanishes, leaving historians to piece together what may have happened to her. Since the popularity of A General History of Pirates, many other authors in years since have added to the story of Anne Bonney and Mary Read. In 1725, an author suggested, without documented sources, that Anne and Mary were lesbian lovers— in the 1960s, John Carlova wrote Mistress of the Seas, which he said was based on extensive research in the UK and Jamaica, but no evidence has been found to support his text. In Mistress, he wrote that Anne remarried after escaping her execution and would go on to have eight children. This seems incredibly unlikely to me since she didn't seem to have much of a maternal aura about her. In fact, she was quite blood-hungry. She was also the one that looked for adventure, and I don't see her settling down with a husband and a gang of rugrats running around her. Karlova says the family lived in Virginia, where Anne stayed until she died. Authors Tamara Eastman and Constance Bond picked up where Kolova left off, claiming that Anne married a man from Virginia in 1721 and lived to be age 84. Pirate historian David Cordingly echoed these details in several of his books and named Anne's future husband James Burley. This information is even included with the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography, which is a legit book of family papers and documents throughout history. If these authors would have done their research, they would know that Charleston residents in the 1600s and 1700s kept extensive paper trails. In a search of these documents, there was no one by the name of William Cormack during the late 1690s, early 1700s. In 1728... An old and weak grandmother in Berkeley County named Anne Cook wrote a will. In it, she mentions a daughter named Ruth, who married a Thomas Bonnie and had a child together named Anne Bonnie. In the will, Anne was left with an enslaved girl named Lucy, a feather bed, and some other personal items. But her grandmother added an interesting restriction. The will states that Anne and her other grandchildren would only receive their inheritance if they do not marry with sailors. So what do you think happened? Do you all think that Anne ran off and escaped, married someone, laid low, had eight kids, lived in Virginia until she turned 84? Or do you think that she went on to live a crazy pirating lifestyle? Like I said, I have a very hard time believing somebody who has this history of being a criminal and being that way since she was kind of like 12, 13 years old being around these pirates. That's her way of life. And she was adventurous and hardheaded and stubborn and incredibly bloodthirsty and a very good pirate. You know, I feel like especially when you see movies of somebody that like tries to give up, you know, this amazing job, even though it's illegal or bad for them, you know, it's always with them in some way. So I have a feeling that just like her alias of Andy and wearing her, you know, male disguises in battle, I wonder if Anne found another way she'd survive as a pirate for a very long time after that. Or honestly, she could have been a lot like Mary Read and just died. I don't know. So much of this is shrouded in mystery and there are so many different versions of this story. So I really had to compile together as much as I could. But here are just a few of the main sources that I used. An article that I referred to a lot was from The Post and Courier. Uh, they were really great in explaining a lot of what a general history of pirates got right and what it got wrong and different things like that. An article from com that was about the death of Anne Bonny. I also read an article on the Crime Museum website, and I also read another one on the Smithsonian website. And much like last week, I got the inspiration for this episode of female criminals. I had never heard of Anne Bonnie before, and when I heard her episode, I really wanted to give my own spin on it and learn more about her. So, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to reach out and chat with me about whether or not you're liking what's going on, uh, or if you just want to. Chat with me in general and say hi. I'm always welcome for that. You can go ahead and email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Direct message us there. We have a Twitter that we sometimes use at Yamp Podcast, Y-A-N-F podcast. We have a Facebook business and group page. I mentioned in the beginning that you can review us on the business page and go ahead and chat with the other listeners on the group page. They're really awesome. Let's see. And if you don't already, go ahead and download that Radio Public app and listen to us there. It is a free way for you to help us out just a little bit. And we really
0: appreciate it.
1: All right, everybody. That's all I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye.